Welcome back to your pursuit, your ongoing pursuit of your bachelors of multifamily science here at the Apartment Academy. The Apartment Academy podcast is the multifamily industry's only operations-focused podcast uh, featuring insights from industry leaders, investors, vendors, and technology providers. If you invest in multifamily real estate, uh, or you're involved in the day-to-day on-site operations of apartment buildings, we are your source for efficient operations and maximizing ROI. Today's podcast with, with, uh, was with Professor Ryan Zinzik, who is the industry principal over at MRI. Professor Zrimzik, he he does a report on, on the industry that covers a lot of ground and we only got to small pieces of it today but if you're if you're wondering what's been happening with rents if you're wondering what's been happening with technology if you've been wondering what's happening uh with with occupancy um this is a uh this report is is something you should really pay attention to and we got some great insights today so let's bring him on here he comes hi brian welcome to the apartment academy thanks daniel happy to be here I always like to start off uh, talking a little bit about um, the background of the of the professors that come here to guest lecture at the Apartment Academy, and um, yours is certainly unique. Um, uh, you have industry experience, you have software experience, um, but really started. I mean, I think, and in, in at least this journey seems like it started for you working for Gartner, looking at, looking at this industry as, as from a, from an enterprise software standpoint. So tell us a little bit about that and, and where you went to from there with your bank company and how you ended up at, at uh, MRI. First 10 years of my career were in the big consultancies doing enterprise software work. And uh, that led me to Gartner where I was an analyst covering enterprise software, trying to understand the dynamics of the market. There was a lot of ERP consolidation back in the day. Uh, that led me to a, what I call my first real job, like when I wasn't in kind of a consulting and a service-oriented business, but working at a company, and I, I was fortunate to go to work for the Irvine Company um, in, in Southern California and be a VP of IT there, a couple different roles over a nine-year span. And um, uh, as we wanted to move back east, I had a great opportunity to join MRI Software uh, in one of my two hometowns, which is Cleveland, Ohio. And, uh, I've been in kind of a product leadership strategy and, and a customer success role. It's kind of a mix of things that leverages some of my past skills. So um, being able to understand the client's business because I was one for nine years, uh, helping you know the marketing teams with the right kind of messaging, helping the sales teams uh, with the clients and if they're having issues and then helping internally with product strategy and direction. So there's been a, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of different hats I get to wear on a daily basis. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, we weren't as an industry really, maybe even today have been known for devoting a lot of resources to IT. I mean, the the real estate IT trade show, like like tumbleweeds blowing through there when you went to attend that airplane company. I mean, what, what are people missing out um, by not having that focus at at sort of the real estate operator slash developer level? Yeah, so I think at the most fundamental level, they miss out on the opportunity to gain efficiency, uh, repeatability, and better information to run their business. Um, And it has gotten better, right? So like in my 17 years in real estate tech, it went from, to your point, like, you know, the, the trade shows were small and there were seven screening vendors there, right? To now, 
you yeah. go to NAA and it's a you know it's an arms race for who has the fanciest booth and we've got technologies from you know smart devices and door locks to artificial intelligence chatbots so um, I think we're on the precipice of this next great kind of iteration of prop tech because we've we put systems in place to automate the back office, and now we're moving to understand that the customer is a unique thing, not just a data point on the lease. So you see the emergence of the CRM and lead management tools. You see the emergence of chatbots. And at the same time, the pandemic showed us that we can do things centrally. So I think you're gonna to continue to see larger organizations leverage technology and not have as many people on site on a daily basis as we would have traditionally done in a highly decentralized industry. Yeah, that's a very interesting trend, and 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 um, given that identifying trends in advance is part of your job as industry principal at MRI, we maybe we want to talk about that. And and, and speaking of MRI, you know, um, you know, MRI has been around a long time, over fifty some years. Fifty one years. years yeah? Yep, fifty one years. Yeah. And and yet, and people just sort of assume like the MRI and like the other you know folks in that space. These, these large incumbents, these sort of assume they're monolithic. They've got their big piece of the of the, the multifamily pie and their clients, which tend to be very viciously loyal. And, 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 yet, and yet I just saw that MRI was listed as one of the fastest growing prop tech companies. How did, how does, I can't reconcile that. How do those two things go together? Uh, we've had a very aggressive acquisition strategy. Over the last few years, we've done about 50 different acquisitions uh, around the world in prop tech, uh, residential and commercial, and for corporate occupiers. Um, so we, we find ourselves with um, a much different portfolio of products and clients than we had you know, five, seven, eight years ago. And most importantly, I think, um, and this is where I think the market has been conditioned to what you just said, like it's a monolith and we have our thing. And, yeah. Um, a lot of the acquisitions we have done come with clients who use MRI or they use Yardi or they use RealPage or they use Entrada. So we have a number of solutions that actually service all of these other monoliths, if you will, which is interesting because I think the industry looks at it as an or, like you're an MRI shop or you're a Yardi yep. shop kind of thing. When in fact, it's already an and and people just don't necessarily recognize the and in what they're already doing. Well, uh, yeah, although that, that probably is, you temper that just a little depending on who that core product is because Yardi's a very much a walled garden, uh, more so than MRI, right? Um, RealPage perhaps somewhere somewhere in between. Um, some of the new players, like, you know, Resmond's like really integrates with everybody. So there's really kind of a continuum, but, but I do think that they're... Um, there does seem to have been a little bit of a swing in the pendulum a little bit where it was um, there were a lot of uh, point solutions at some point and then the PMS systems uh, integrated a lot of that or built their built it out on their own and then people were like well we just want to go to one place for everything and then best in breed sort of ideas sort of came along where people were like well wait a, second, wait a second maybe it's okay for me to have an MRI as a core solution but pick this other um, best of breed technology is. Do you think that still holds today? Absolutely. So, as you correctly mentioned, we're we're very open and connected. We have hundreds of partners. We we have thousands of APIs, and we we foster a whole ecosystem. 
But if I go back in time to my analyst days at, at Gartner, we watched as that assimilation happened, right? As you know, the SAPs of the world kept getting bigger. But for some reason, Salesforce was able to not lose the battle to that gravitational pull of the existing enterprise suite. And the reason was they recognized the customer as a second important thing to gather information around. And I think that's where we are today with PropTech. You'll see a lot of lead management and CRM systems that um, are really kind of putting meat on that bone, right? Um, we've been very good about the general ledger. We've been very good about the lease and understanding our inventories and doing pricing and having, you know, and all that stuff that's really kind of accounting centric. But we just had a guest card as a way to put someone's information in the system to eventually put them on a lease, move them into a unit. Now we can, you know, have you know, drip campaigns and we can track through the funnel and understand conversion rates and which lead sources are best. And so there's been a lot of work done kind of at the top of the funnel. But I think it goes to a larger issue, and that is it's impossible to always innovate everywhere. Right. There's always going to be something new. And even for us, um, you know, we, we try to bring innovation. Um, we can't do it all. Neither can any of the other big players. So you have to be open to allow our clients to take advantage of those innovations when they do happen. Yep. And those are some of the companies we've acquired over time that were innovators in their own right, like a Checkpoint ID, um, who are integrated to all the CRMs and all the PMSs because they do something um, better than anybody does in that space. So, um, and it's in our best interest to keep doing that and serving all those those joint clients. And one of the things that's, so you, you've just published a very insightful sort of industry report, um, which actually is quite broad in, in the things that you, that you talk, there's a lot for us to unpack there, the things that you discuss. Um, one of them though indicates or speaks to the, you know, the adoption of technology within the industry um, the, and the adoption of online payment platforms like that is vastly accelerated. That was all very interesting. Um, but, um, yeah, so one of the, one of the things that, that seems to be, have taken hold during the, during, during COVID is the idea of, uh, you know, virtual leasing, chatbots, that sort of thing is part of the uptick that you're seeing in, in adoption of technology related to, that area of, of prop tech? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the things we tracked were um, online applications, online payments, use of resident portals. Oh, right. Um, and all of those just up, up and away, right, over time. Um, to be fair, those trends were already happening. The pandemic applied the accelerant to the fire that existed, right? Um, and that will just continue because we've seen the efficiencies like we closed our offices and we kept on leasing and we kept on renewing and we kept on servicing so that was a very educational moment that you know sometimes it takes a crisis um you know necessity is the mother of invention and so all kind of things were invented kind of over the last two years and now we're we're finding a, to use a trite term the new normal right how do we best blend in those things from what we learned during the pandemic with what we have traditionally done? Some companies will err more towards the side of people and service. Some will err more towards the side of efficiency and automation. There's no right or wrong answer. We're going to see kind of a mix of it as we go forward. Do you think it's a, uh, it, it's, is it more a cultural decision to try to, um, let's just say, automate 
as much of that initial contact or even some of the post-contact, like, you know, uh, dealing with work orders. And so do you think that's a cultural decision or is it a product type decision? Like I've got, you know, class A product. People want to be able to come in and pound the desk when the toilet's clogged. Uh, or is this a cultural like we as a company will not accept that somebody might speak to a bot at some point and get a satisfactory answer, but not from a human? So, I, yes, that's a little bit of both, I think. Um, culture, though, is probably the bigger one. Like, who are you? What? How do you put yourself forward um, as an operator right, um, of a high end property? What do those people expect? Now, I would say that as a. I guess a middle-aged guy now I, I expect not much in the way of people like when I go to the grocery store I scan my stuff and put it in my own bags and I walk out without talking to a soul when's the last time you were in a bank lobby yeah for doing anything transaction like it just uh, so a lot of the things that we used to do that involve people we've automated and it's natural progression and the demographic of the renter today they're more digitally native than they're not, right? So, and, you know, do I want to have to call the leasing office during my workday to report that leaky faucet or do I just want to go on the portal at night when I'm on the couch watching the end of Ozark and I want to say, oh, I have a leaky faucet and hit send, right? Like, it's just easy and that's how we're all trained these days, right? So, uh, but the other bit of it is kind of change management, right? Like, organizationally, changing your structure, changing how you go to market, how you do what you do, it takes some intestinal fortitude, right? It isn't just about changing the bottom line. It's about changing how you operate as a company. And those, you know, folks who have been in roles for a long time, it's difficult to make substantial change. Um, it's just hard. Change is hard for everybody. So I think that's, that's where the lessons of the pandemic, because change was forced on us, um, it wasn't like we said, hey, let's have a project to test out closing an office. Yeah. It was like suddenly they were all just closed. We had to figure it out. Yeah. And it, it, is, the, is the rise in resident portal usage related to more work orders? Or do you think there's some, do you, do you have any insights? What else no, is driving payments. it? It's payments. Payments. If it correlates most highly with payments, I think uh, work orders, yes, that is also up. And I don't have stats on it, but amenity reservations. Right. So all those kind of self-service things I want to, you know, I want to use the party room or, or whatnot. Right. Like, um, I can just do it on my own. Why do I need to call somebody and have them check a book? If, you know, check a diary, if it's available, I can do that online and book it myself. And then if there's a fee, you'll just bill me on my account. And I'll pay it when I pay my rent on the first of the month. Can you, do you, Brian, can you see this trend extending to the community managers? Like this trend of, of central for centralizing leasing, or removing leasing from the from the premises, extending to the managers themselves. I mean, if they can pay their rent, if they can complain, if they can reserve rooms, uh, do you see that trend extending to maybe we pull community managers away and centralize that service? It would not surprise me if some people try that, um, because at the end of the day, you need to build a relationship with your your customer. Yeah. Do you have to do that physically? Or can you do that through phone, email, text, chat, whatever form of communication? And if you're needed, then you need to show up, right? Um, but if you're not needed, why you need to be there, right? You might be needed somewhere else. So I think we have a ch the other thing that I think this does, centralization, by the way, 
the demands of the on-site staff today. I call it the day of the a day of interruptions, right? A hundred people walk through the door at the property yeah. with a hundred different issues. They could be accounting related, service related, leasing related, and we expect people to be able to handle all of them equally well. And I think we all know from our own personal experiences, some people are better with people, some people are better with numbers, some people are naturally happy, some people are naturally grumpy. Like, so, but we get people who are good at maybe leasing and we want them to do renewal, renewal calculations and deal with resident ledgers. And that's just kind of not their strong suit. If we can centralize some of these things, then the people who deal with resident ledgers, collections, renewals, more accounting oriented things can be really good at that and have a career around that because there could be a whole department that manages that. And the people that are really good at sales and leasing, they can do that. And the people that are good at servicing and, and kind of de-escalating situations and finding, they can do that. And they can all have a better career. Today we know we suffer 30 to 50% turnover on site before the great resignation, right? And all the challenges of finding staff today. So if we can give people um, roles that are more aligned to their natural skills, the whole industry and all of our customers will benefit. Yeah. Yeah, maybe pay them a little more so they stick around a little more if you're a little more efficient. There's all kinds of ways that we can we can attract better talent to this I industry. I heard that. I, I was at a conference last week and I heard that they, they centralized. They, they, they changed the pay. They upped the pay of the leasing folks like 70%, but they cut the leasing folks total headcount by like 60% or something. So everybody got to win. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not paying attention to that, you're going to fall behind. Is there anything else? What, what else is in that in, in your report, Brian, that you think that the operators out there should be paying attention to? The biggest thing for me is um, the effects of pricing on new leases versus renewals. The gap between, uh, so as, as we all know, um, market rate rents on average have gone up, let's say 20% in the last eight months. And that's over the typical slow period, right? Like summer's coming, so we would expect it to go up more. Um, at the same time, because of the delay of renewals, renewal offers for today, May 2nd, were issued in February, where we didn't have as much clarity or certainty. So maybe we were still moderate in our renewal ask. I think as we go into the summer here, we're gonna see more aggressive renewal offers for folks who also may be benefiting from pandemic induced concessions on top of their already, let's say, um, uh, reasonable rents, right? Yeah. Concessions burn off. Which by the way was a trend in your, I saw in your report, concessions are way absolutely. up. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. They were way up, they, they've come back down now. But the people that are in place now are, are, they have the concessions and their pricing was set at the bottom of the market, right? Now we're at the top of the market. So that gap in between is gonna drive substantial renewal offers, I think, which is gonna cause residents to wonder if they can still do it or they should. And they're gonna find that there's not a lot available and that prices are higher everywhere. So the, the folks on site need to start thinking about the right sentences to say when folks get those renewal offers over the next few months and are not happy with the increases that, they're, that are being proposed. Because the landlord knows they can, given the tightness of the market, they can go out and just 
rent it to the next person at the market rate. So think, you know, residents need to be careful how quickly they maybe react to renewal offer and do some research. And the supply problem is not getting any better based on some recent stats. I think uh, we're like uh, 3 million units behind what we need. And the cost to construct anything is simply high. Labor, material, land, permitting, um, all of it is high or unavailable, either because of supply chain problems or just staffing, right? So we're not going to fill in that gap of, of units fast, which is going to keep the, you know, the demand up relative to the supply. And that's going to, it's going to be a, a landlord's market. What, what do you think happened? We, we, there was this point in time, call it, you know, late 2020, mid 2020, uh, a lot of a lot of folks were were talking about oh there's this massive backlog of evictions coming there's all these people that were not able to pay during the pandemic and um there's there's this giant ghost vacancy that nobody's aware of right now because uh people have moved out like they've abandoned they've moved in together because they're trying to and um we've come out on the other side of that and i think we've not seen any of that or if we have is supply so constricted that it's just overcome that? What are you supposed to do driving the rates? So a couple things. One, uh, so I was part of the NMHC's rent tracker panel. We provided data along with our peers to that. And as I said in a different interview, the shoe never dropped. Yeah. We all expected the worst. And yes, payment performance degraded a few points, but it didn't fall off the cliff. The cliff never came. So why is that? Well, People got proactive. I think every one of us software providers created a kind of a payment plan feature where you could go in and say, okay, I'll happily pay you an extra $100 a month for the next six months to burn off my arrears. As opposed to the other thing that happened was landlords stopped the like you're late, you're out kind of method, right? Like we just let people stay and then try to work it through. And I can tell you from looking at some of the data, um, it is not a function of when you signed your lease, whether or not you were able to stay. So I had a I had a kind of hypothesis that if you signed your lease during the pandemic, you had financial certainty, right? Like why else would you sign up for something? Well, those folks were just as likely to have a, an issue with, you know, paying their rent as someone who'd been in the unit for three years. So um, I think between the the assistance programs from the government, some assistance programs done by landlords themselves, um, and um, the uh, natural movement of folks, right? If you, if you dig into my report, you'll see that for a while there in the pandemic, people were bailing on one and two bedroom apartments, right? They were either, so they were, you know, they were just changing, maybe they were moving home or whatnot. And then about six months later, ones and twos became, you know, very popular again. And we've since kind of balanced back out to where we were before, but um, I think it's kind of like an all of the above, right? Some people just didn't renew their lease and they went on to find the next thing. Um, some people got behind and they got on payment plans. And of course, some people got evicted, but nothing materially different or impactful, at least that we've heard in the marketplace. I didn't see it. I might've missed it. Does this report talk about cap rates? No. Do you track that? Some, no, right? I, this is, it's, uh, I, I, per, no, I don't. This is really operational data yeah. trying to really dig into the resident life cycle and some of the ancillary things. Right. Right. Because, uh, 
that was the other another shoe we we sort of expected to drop was to see cap rates start to rise again with some uncertainty in in this market. But with the data that you're presenting, there's no uncertainty here. In fact, there might be more might be more bullish on multifamily as investment than ever. Yeah, the question I think now is like, you know, where where where's the top? Yeah. Right. If if we've gone up twenty percent in the last eight months, and if you go back a few years, we're probably above where we would have been in normal rent growth, right? Like, um, like how much, how far can rents go up? And and affordability is an issue. Affordability is back in the like the thing that came back right after. I shouldn't say after the pandemic. After we got back to kind of somewhat normalcy, was suddenly affordability is back as a headline, right? So I think that's the that's the biggest risk is are some external factors gonna come to bear to try to change behaviors. So be looking at so rents are going back up, um, ad, adoption of technology, online payments going back up. Anything else to learn from your uh, from your report you want to share with folks on the operations side? Uh, I just think like to sum it up, um, we've had we've seen peak volumes of traffic. Um, in the winter months that are comparable to last summer. So I think it's going to be a crazy summer because of those folks that are getting renewal offers that maybe they don't like and they're deciding to move. Um, and it's just a busy season and people are, you know, we're back to, there's two stats I always track about the market, kind of, you know, the macroeconomic things, unemployment and the cost of money, right? And unemployment's back to 50 year historic lows. It isn't exactly pre-pandemic, but it's like sub 5%, right? Unemployment, which is killer. Um, and then, well, interest rates, yes, they're going up, but money is still historically cheap. So that should be great news for developers, but it's the cost of everything else now that is the barrier. And that one, I, if I could predict that, I'd be on a different podcast probably. Well, one well, last, yeah, right. Um, uh, one last question for you. Um, what is what is MRI gleaned from all of this? Where, where from from the in, from the information you have now about where the industry is going in terms of adoption of technology and resident portal information, all that. Where's that Where's that leading MRI? What's on the horizon that you might be able to talk about? So on top of our strategy of about being open and providing for integration, we've kind of gone all in on AI. We believe AI is the next big iteration. We've actually gone with the, what we call our AI first strategy. So anytime the product teams are trying to solve a new problem or an old problem, we're asking ourselves, how can artificial intelligence help? We've trained over 500 people in AI um, and we are actively adding it into a number of products. So we do believe that there are a number of things that today the, that people look at a condition and do a thing. Some of that is just, it can be automated and do the thing just as well. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, um, Brian, how do, how do folks get a hold of the report that you guys publish? Is, can you opt in to receive it? Uh, it's on our website. You know, it's on our website, mrisoftware.com. I think it's under resources. And um, you just got to fill out a little you know, info card and it's yours. Great. Well, really great information. Love the report. Thank you for sharing that with the, with the community, publishing that. Some really interesting things there. Uh, and we, we appreciate you coming on the Apartment Academy Day to talk about that. Yep. Happy Thanks. to. Thanks for having me.
Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on today's lecture with our elbow patch festoon professor of multifamily science. We appreciate you logging in and, and listening today. If you've enjoyed these podcasts and you feel like your management company could use a little advice from some of the professors here at the Academy, then go to our website, apartmentacademy.com, and click Help Me. We'll send you a questionnaire and provide individualized responses to your answers at no charge that I guarantee will offer you insights on ways you can immediately improve apartment operations. Until next time, my office hours are posted, class is dismissed.